Namaste. So, as part of the series on collected works of the mother, we are with the prayers and meditations and today we will touch upon the last portion of the prayers. Now, uh, when we take the trail of the mother's yoga, we see that all the traditional yogas, traditional uh, methods, experiences, realizations, we will find them all here. Obviously, we have not taken every prayer, but if we uh, are aware of including all this, uh, the rising of the Kundalini, everything we will find here. We will find also glimpses of the supramental world, but that is a big subject and this is just to introduce. So, uh, but now after 1915, after she leaves uh, Pondicherry on 22nd February and sails back to France. And from France she goes to Tokyo, uh, to Japan. And from Japan she comes back. And during this phase we see an entirely new yoga is developing. And some of it is uh, the most profound secrets of the Vedic Yoga. Some where we see the birth of the new creation. And uh, we see her uh, communication with uh, Sakyamuni, Gautama, the Buddha. We also see hints of some kind of contact with Christ's consciousness. But uh, I am not uh, touching upon it because that is not directly evident. But one can feel that there is a communication which is there. And uh, of course uh, about her descent into the inconscient. All this is there. And the prayers become more and more infrequent. Of course, there are many prayers which um, are not part of these collected works because four-fifth of the prayers have been destroyed by her. Destroyed means given to fire. So, what we'll do now, we'll just read some of these selected prayers. And the first is November 26, 1915. Which is a profound experience and let me get straight into it. The entire consciousness immersed in divine contemplation. The whole being enjoyed a supreme and vast felicity. So she is immersed in a divine contemplation, the entire consciousness. Then what happens? Then was the physical body seized, first in its lower members and next the whole of it. By sacred trembling which made little by little even in the most material sensation all personal limits fall away. We will see hints of the yoga of the cells. And here I must pause and mention because nowadays I see sometimes people talking about yoga of the cells. And not only talk is still okay, they are apparently giving a course on yoga of the cells. Please don't trivialize Shirobindo and the mother. This is my real, real request. If you are giving a guided imagery, call it guided imagery. Because simply by using the word light and coming into the cells, I am not doing yoga of the cells. It may give a wrong impression. Yoga of the cells and the physical body comes much, much, much later. And unless one has had the psychic realization, not even an experience, and a clear opening to the overhead spiritual planes, to talk about yoga of the body in the sense that the mother and Shurabinda have used, and yoga of the material cells is actually in a way, a, uh, I mean, it's a kind of falsifying what the truth that they have given because there are many new people they don't know all these details they think okay if I use some kind of imagery and uh, with suggestions if I read something from mother 
and I am imagining something into the cells, I am engaged in yoga of the cells. Please don't do that. It is an imagery and we can use it. We can imagine that light is going into the cells which is perfectly fine. But it is not equivalent to yoga of the cells. So here is the description. What happens? One of the experiences. There are many, many others. Actually, yoga of the material cells, mother has taken much, much later. But this is one of the experiences. The being progressively, methodically grew in greatness, breaking down every barrier, shattering every obstacle that it might contain and manifest a force and a power which increased ceaselessly in immensity and intensity. It was as if a progressive dilatation of the cells until there was a complete identification with the earth. I want to ask all these people, have you ever experienced your cell, forget about its dilatation and identifying with the earth, not in the mind. Not in the mind. Mind can imagine anything. But of the cells, here is the first hint. The cell is dilating and when mother uses the word cell, she is using the word cell. She is not using the word imagine that there is a cell which is dilating. Consciousness you can play with, but cell is something very concrete. The body of the awakened consciousness was a terrestrial globe moving harmoniously in ethereal space. And the consciousness knew that its global body was thus moving in the arms of the universal personality and it gave itself, it abandoned itself to her with a capital H in an ecstasy of peaceful bliss. I won't even like to interpret it. Shivindu has himself spoken about this experience and this is a letter of Shivindu which we'll talk about. Then it felt that its body was absorbed in the body of the universe. Cell, physical body, body of the globe, body of the universe and one with it. The consciousness became the consciousness of the universe. In its totality, immobile, in its internal complexity, moving infinitely. We see a glimpse of this in Savitri. Where uh, the yoga of the Divine Mother, where she, in the, the book of yoga, where we see in the 6th and 7th canto, the cosmic consciousness, particularly the 7th canto. The consciousness of the universe sprang toward the Divine in an ardent aspiration, a perfect surrender, and it saw in the splendor of the immaculate light, the radiant being standing on a many-headed serpent whose body coiled infinitely around the universe. Does it remind us of something? Krishna's dance on Kaliya. But what a profound meaning it contains. We again trivialize it, all those dances and Kaliya and poisoning. It is a many-headed serpent, which is the time, all the coils of time, through which the universe is carried up. That's what we have in our image. And the being is over it, dancing over it. Standing over it, the being in an eternal gesture of triumph mastered and created at one and the same time the serpent and the universe. This is the evolutionary power which is inbuilt within creation. And he is standing over it and it's creating. Out of him this serpent uh, has emerged and it is carrying all things. See, there is a term in astrology, by the way I am just mentioning, called Kalasarpa. And people take it as a dosha. 
Well, if you really see, and those who have had the experience of the Kalashar, what does Kalashar mean? It is that kind of fate which is difficult to really change. It is time which has decided things. It's no more some just action, consequences, natural which is taking place within the ambit. Time has decided. But the beauty of it is, when you go through it, you evolve. It is not something which is to be seen as a danger, but as a possibility which is taking us through a route which is like hell or a dangerous zone. Why? Because time is shifting itself in a very radical way. It can lead to a complete change within us. And that's why the image of the serpent, which Sri is... Uh, also speaks about and Sri Ramakrishna speaks about speaks about the world as a serpent which is leaving its kichul um, kya covering or whatever uh, its outer shell so slowly it releases itself and a new serpent arises out of it it's a symbol of that and during that phase it's very vulnerable because you know it it cannot see it has lost all its old thing and it can be easily killed actually some people think that you know the snake is dead but when it comes out it's all shining glistening that is the evolutionary process serpent is the force of evolution as the mother has said yes there are some snakes which are hostile beings uh, indicative of that and it was forces but serpent in general is the force of evolution because if you see it is a creature one apart from its swift movement it is the creature which takes a leap from the swift movement on the ground to the skies. You see, it, that's why it is with Shiva. This mother's saying that, you know. So, here that's what serpent means. It's not that there is a hostile force over which um, Krishna is dancing. He dominated it with all his victorious might and the same gesture that crushed the hydra, enveloping the universe, gave it eternal birth. So, simultaneously... And that means the way out of Kala Sarpa is to concentrate on the being, Krishna, who dances over it. That can change. And for us, alone her hands can change time's dragon base. But uh, this is how the remedy is also there, given here. Of course, it has to be done with absolute trust. Then the consciousness became this being and perceived that its form was changing once more. Whose form? The being. And perceived that its form was changing once more. It was absorbed into something which was no longer a form and yet contained all forms. So now it is like beyond the form, the formless, being, non-being, something which Immutable sees the eye, the witness. This is how they describe the eye of Vishnu. And what it sees is, then this last vestige of form disappeared. And the consciousness itself was absorbed into the unutterable, the ineffable. The return toward the consciousness of the individual body took place very slowly in a constant and invariable splendor of light and power and felicity and adoration by successive gradations. Have you heard of Kundalini not only going through the spine but the entire body? This is in Shurvindo's yoga. And the descent also. It's not just the spine. The whole body experiences that thrill of the descent. So, there are many new things, you know, people. Uh, 
without passing again through the universal and terrestrial forms and it was as if the modest corporeal form had become the direct and immediate vesture without any intermediary of the supreme and eternal witness now her form has become a direct representation of the supreme so she wrote about this experience to shirobindo there are some very interesting letters of the mother when she was in japan and um, tokyo and uh, other places kyoto to shirobindo and this experience when she wrote she said it is a true original vedic experiences but today's vedantins will not accept it and the experience is about the possibility of the physical earth fusing with the supreme this physical matter physical and that's what we understand now you know material nature that's how the mother described the the meaning of shivlinga that is the divine soul and this is material nature parvati she is the daughter of the mountains is the divine mother who has become material nature so when we look at that way we understand many profound mysteries so we go to another uh, interesting experience on december 28 1916 where she hears about um, uh, the divine will but this is here here she okay there is an experience on december 5 19 16 which is again very interesting now this is in japan so we have heard about um, you know the vasudevam sarvamiti seeing the divine everywhere now this is that we have seen mother has experienced that several times but here she is describing that in a very interesting way what is that experience practical notation of the experience turn toward the earth the habitual injunction was heard in the silence of the immutable identification then the consciousness became that of the one in all this experience of course she is rooted in it all these are for her a child's play that's how she told amrita i can give brahman realization like this and we know that when she played with krishna or rather krishna played with her in 29th february 1960 he said i'll be sitting on your chair let me see where you will sit and the mother went and saw krishna sitting on there and then she sat and she went into that experience where she was no one and all <laughs> so okay and then krishna sat in a lap and gave the medals that's a very interesting story so what does she say about the experience now it comes in inverted commas everywhere in in all in whom thou can see the one will be awakened the consciousness of this identity with the divine whomever she has seen see now this experience is very profound one is i see the divine everywhere okay i mean somebody who has realized another is wherever you will see that will awaken to the realization of the divine can we imagine <laughs> i mean the gita says this experience itself to see the divine everywhere is a rarest of rare samahatma ch durlabha but here whomever you will see that will awaken to the this like a seal she has put if she has cast the glance it is bound to happen because this is how it is meant to be and then she hears the command look and then she sees it was a japanese street brilliantly illuminated with gay lanterns set out picturesquely with vivid colors and as whatever was conscious moved forward in the street 
the divine became visible in each and in all now this is another interesting part of the experience he is seeing the divine in not not only in the dynamic motion with all the details which is the supramental experience it is not just seeing the divine presence in fourth dimension when you are oblivious of things so they become blurred against a luminous background but here all is there together one of the slight houses became transparent This is an actual experience. Somebody had of Shirobindo's body becoming transparent, momentarily and suddenly one could see through the body. The mother, people have asked him. She comes to the balcony and suddenly she disappears. They couldn't see her. And Shirobindo says, "Yes, even physical body used to become suddenly taller, uh, and you know it used to change even its height." One of the slight houses became transparent. so that you could see a woman seated on a tatami in its sumptuous violent kimono embroidered with gold and vivid colors this is important every detail is seen in that vision that's what the supramental experience is where the one and the many in all its details are seen not just the one in all the woman was beautiful and must have been between 35 and 40 Look at the details. She played on a golden semisen. At her feet was a young child, and in the woman also the divine was visible. So you see, this is different from normally what is called as seeing the divine everywhere. This is an experience where you see the one and the many together, which is what the super mind is about. And then we come to this. Uh, Communications she received. There are many. One of them is where she hears the voice. I have chosen thee from all eternity to be my exceptional representative upon the earth, not in an invisible and hidden way, but in a very apparent, but in a way apparent to the eyes of all men. And what thou wert created in to be, thou shalt be. That's why she says that since the beginning of the earth. there never been whenever and wherever there was a possibility for a manifestation of the ray of the divine consciousness i was there so they are not just expressions they are actual revelations and then of course we know that she has the experience of communication with sakyamuni gautamada buddha shobindo confirmed it when somebody said who is sakyamuni because in the communication sakyamuni he says you don't know sakyamuni gautama the buddha because he belong to the sakya clan so some people call him the sakyamuni because he belong to the clan this is december 20th 1916 it's a long experience but let me read that communication received at 5:30 in the evening after meditation as you are contemplating me i shall speak to you this evening she was an adept in the buddhist yoga i seen your heart a diamond surrounded with a golden light it is at once pure and warm so that it can manifest impersonal love which is what you know buddha had and she kept telling to people even buddhist alexandra david neil when she came to me she said he is all love she said, no 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 He said, "But I see him standing near." No, no, Buddha is in Nirvana, and the mother said, "I, I couldn't help but smile and laugh with him. Impersonal love, which people couldn't understand, but they were drawn by it. They were touched by it. But see here, something interesting. 
Why do you, but why do you let this treasure lie enclosed in this somber casket lined with an intense purple? Purple is a color of royalty. She is the king of, or well, queen of queens, Raj Rajeshwari. But she is hiding this diamond in a golden casket. She doesn't want to reveal it. She says, why are you hiding it? You are the, I mean like, Theo, Madam Theo saw on her head the uh, crown with 12 pearls and she says, I know you have all the 12 powers, you are the divine mother. So all this she had brought with her and she was not boasting about it. We boast about our rank, we boast about our, what is what is it called, qualifications, we carry those big things in the pocket. I just don't understand and how far it is from her when a little touch will make you feel you are a little baby. Charano ki dhul, there is a very nice, you know, of uh, gazal. Anyways, I don't want to get into it. Noor ki aankh ka surma banja, kha ke dare janana banja. To become the dust of his feet is a glory and a greatness. And that dust, what does he do? He lifts up and makes kalikna. Surma is black. So even black has a role. He says, okay, you are black. Black means... Uh, you have a lot of dark things, doesn't matter, I'll put you in my eyes, right below my eyelids. So look at it. The outermost envelope is of a deep blue, which is not luminous, a veritable mantle of darkness. She has put it under a cover of darkness. One would say that you are afraid of showing your splendor. Learn to radiate and do not fear the storm. Why? Because the moment the diamond is shown, forces will rush. The wind carries us far away from the shore but shows us the world. Is it that you would husband your tenderness? But the source of love is infinite. Are you afraid of being misunderstood? After that, there is something which in, I always remember in my life as one of the most powerful words ever said. So Buddha tells her, let me put it like that. Are you afraid of being misunderstood? But where have you seen man able to understand the divine? And no wonder she gave her commentaries on the Dhammapad because she wanted to do a course correction. And then she also said at one place when the talk on Buddha is going on, she says, you know, even during his lifetime, they had formed a religion out of it. Mahayan, Hinyan, Theravad, but who understood Buddha? And this is true of all divine beings. Who understands Krishna? Who understands Rama? Shurabindu is still, but the other thing is that mother has become so close to us that it becomes probably at least we can hold her finger and then some understanding can come. Otherwise, who could have understood Shurabindo? Even now, she says, who can understand Shurabindo? And if the eternal truth finds in you a means to manifest, what can the rest matter to you? You are like a pilgrim coming out of a sanctuary, standing on the threshold in front of the crowd. He hesitates before revealing his precious secret, the secret of his supreme discovery. But then she and she writes about it. In, in one of her essays listen listen I too hesitated for days see what a personal communication for I could foresee both my preaching and what would be its result 
the imperfection of expression and the still greater imperfection of understanding. So see, it is not enough that we read Mother and Shurabinda. People say, no, you read directly. It's not about reading. Along with the reading, there should be a state in which we can understand. Otherwise, the mind will make anything out of anything. That's what we are seeing the other day. Now you have, you know, with this conflict, all kinds of things floating around. Some, somebody wrote about war, that it's a it's very dark words, almost abusing words, and the name of Shurabinda. Arish Shubhinda has also said, wars are schools of courage. It's through the Kurushetra war that India was saved. So this kind of one-sided because you have a repulsion to war. A yogin has repulsion for nothing. Either this or that. He wants only the divine will to be fulfilled. But all kinds of things uh, float around. So he says, I too hesitated. And yet I turned toward the earth and men and I brought to them my message. What is Buddha's message? Turn toward the earth and men. See, people who become apologists. No, no, Buddha wanted nirvana. Why did he turn towards earth? Why did he speak? Why did he give his, give his sermon? In um, Varanasi, that place, uh, Saras, uh, Sarnath. Why would he go around and tell the, a gospel to people if nirvana is the sole truth? Isn't it so simple to understand? I mean, it's common sense. And yet people turn into a gospel of nirvana. Buddha is strong, mighty, conquering desires. And here is what she hears. Is this not the command you always hear in your heart? In your heart, for it is that which carries a blessed message for those who are a thirst for compassion. Buddha is compassion. Henceforth, nothing can attack the diamond. It is unassailable. And so it goes on. And it, it's a long, as I said, communication. It is I who say it to you. For I know and love you as you knew and loved me before. So, people ask when would this have been? It could have been either in some past life or in this very life. She was an adept of the Buddhist yoga, as Shurabinda says, before she came to Pondicherry. And mother's path was love wherever she went predominantly. I have appeared clearly before your eyes so that you may not doubt my words in the least. And also to your eyes I have shown your heart so that you may thus see what the supreme truth has willed and discover in it the law of your being. The thing still appears to you very difficult. A day will come when you will wonder how the truth could seem to you other than what it is. And she has signed below it Sakyamuni. This is a very, of course, very powerful prayer and this is the work she has to do. So what, what is the step she has to take? Now we have heard about renunciation. So much, so I left money, I left my house. These were never yours, by the way. Fool that you thought they are mine. And then when you leave them and make a halabulu about it, you have really not left it. I left everything and came to the ashram. Are what have we left? By the way, in this ashram we are looked after. <laughs> Fairly well compared to the typical ashramas. I mean, you compare there. Mother has ensured your life is reasonably good. And people have to live in those other ashrams where in, you know, when Swami Vivekananda, this Bilur Mat and all that started with snakes all around. And she wants children to be when Hota, when this, this had come, um, I think this uh, steel plate to the dining room earlier they were poor steel plates so people were very happy we'll have in steel plates and mother said I want my children to have in golden plates 
Because she loves. She says, you do this in her life, but this is not to deprive you. But there is something else that is being renounced here. And what she renouncing, December 25th, 1916, what I heard in the silence and noted last evening. By renouncing everything, even wisdom and consciousness, thou wert able to prepare thy heart for the role which was assigned to it, apparently the most thankless role, that of the fountain which always lets its waters flow abundantly for all, but towards which no stream can ever remount. It draws its inexhaustible force from the depths and has nothing to expect from outside. Doesn't she say later on, I expect nothing from anyone. But you can expect everything from me. Who can give like this? Be this love in everything and everywhere. Ever more widely, ever more intensely and the whole world will become at once thy work and thy estate. So where are the limits in which we capture her and close her? December 27th, 1916 Love me in all things, everywhere and in all beings. Mother is hearing the command. <laughs> she is not telling us, of course, it applies to us also. Love her in all things and everywhere. I mean, to be truly worthy of being her children. This is a very, this is just for the sake of joy. Mother used to play games with prayers and meditations, sometimes with flowers, and she would ask, even some portions of her prayers were cut and given to people. So one day she asked the question, okay, which is the shortest prayer in prayers and meditation? And then uh, people told different replies. And I don't remember whether somebody gave the correct reply or not, but here is the correct reply for quiz. <laughs> Please don't turn it into a quiz. Mother was doing this to make us conscious. And why? Because, see, this is very beautiful. January 19, 1917 is the shortest prayer. And the hours pass away like dreams, unlived. And the hours pass away like dreams, unlived. There are a couple of very short prayers. On January 29, 1917, there is a whole um, prayer on Beauty, and I'll just read one little line in the beginning. In the world of forms, a lack of beauty is a fault as great as a lack of truth in the world of ideas. Truth is beauty and harmony and delight. And that's how it is. It is not harsh, barren, bare, which certain ideologies will make us believe. Yes, if you climb the mountains and meet truth like Shiva, you have not found truth till you have also discovered by his side Uma Parvati, Hamvati, the mother of love, to whom even Asuras and Rakshasas go and take from her hands. So truth is that. Who is Uma Parvati? She is the heart of Shiva. And who is Shiva? He is, when Uma Parvati withdraws into her depths, that is Shiva. It is true of Mother and Shurabindo equally. And then she says, Beauty is the divine language in the form, 
but true beauty is as difficult to discover and she speaks about the lord of beauty at one place she says thou art not what a vain people think of thee thou art not exclusively attached to any particular form of life it is possible to awaken thee to make thee thine in every form but for this one must have discovered thy secret shobindo discovered this secret according to him in the alipur jail where he could discover the beauty even in the ugly and the hideous then on march 27 1917 this another communication in dialogue received uh, in meditation and uh, it's very deeply mystic uh, i just read couple of lines thou wilt be the woodcutter who binds the fagot thou will be the great swan you this is literally uh, in savitri we will see the boon that savitri receives in book 11 and it's a very similar language thou will be the great swan with outspread wings that purifies the eyes with its pearly whiteness and warms the heart with its white down so when we see a swan in a vision it is one of the manifestations of the divine mother thou will lead them all toward their supreme destiny thou has seen the hearth kya gvedi and thou has seen the child new creation one was attracting the other and both were content one because it burned and the other because it was warmed so this is the yagya which has brought into manifestation the new creation but something interesting thou seest in thy heart this triumphant hearth thou alone canst carry it without its becoming destructive new creation can be we think oh baby this baby krishna you know what all he did if others touched it they would be consumed let them not therefore come too close to it the child has to know that it should not touch the dazzling flame which so attracts it from a distance it warms the child and illumines its heart too close it would reduce it to ashes see it's one thing to stay far and do the yoga when you are drawn and you touch the hearth now if you have to transpose it into today's context the samadhi is the hearth and drawn by the new creation if you come too close that's why it's so important to be purified it takes long otherwise be ready to be consumed the ego will shatter then you can't say oh mirai mother this is gone that is gone that's how the new creation will emerge and therefore it also gives the process one alone can dwell in this heart without fear for he is the very ray that has kindled it he is the salamander that is reborn in the fire another is above not afraid of any burning he is the immaculate sphinx the bird descended from the sky who knows how to return to it so what are these two one is the power of realization that power can dwell if there is the power of realization which means basically that tapas which doesn't stop at anything unless it makes real all that it dreams and aspires for 
The other is the light which watches, which understands, sees the whole thing. Not understand the way mind understands. And the third is the sovereign consciousness. So these are the kind of experiences he is having. Another very, very, very powerful. She at one point even says, do I really have to do this work? <laughs> she understands. She says, Calvary, she Calvary is, you know, comes in that Christ thinking, do I have to really take this burden? I sure. Because see, see what she was doing in Japan, she was trying to have the shortcut. What was the shortcut? She had kept all the asuras around her. One of them she had married. So she said, if I convert this fellow, obviously all others will get converted. But imagine keeping next to you and then trying to convert. She went one step ahead of Sita, Sita Ji, Mata Sita. Literally tied him. See, that's why we don't understand Ramayana. We think Ravana kidnapped Sita. No. She went out of her own will. To try to see this fellow. If he changes, all the thing is over. No war, nothing. And not only no war, world changes. Because there is a hub of the ultimate darkness which has fallen from the heights. So she wanted to convert. And then there is another way she speaks about suddenly before the all my pride gave way. I understood how futile it was to wish to surmount oneself in thy presence. She has spoken about it, that it was a very profound experience. This is not some outer thing she is speaking about. But what comes later on is so beautiful. It should be something worth writing, remembering and practicing. And this is July 12th, 1918. A prayer to be remembered always, written in the heart. I have cried to thee with the joy of a child. What is she crying? O supreme and only confidant, thou who knowest beforehand all we can say to thee because thou art its source. Please. All others are okay. Friends, share things with mother. She knows. She is the source. That's what at the end Satyavan also advises. Lay on on all on her. She is the cause of all. So, then something still more powerful. O supreme and only friend, thou who acceptest, thou who lovest and understandest us just as we are, because it is thyself who has so made us. You don't, when you say this word, this word, Mother will smile and say, yes, yes. Do we have to say yes to see how conscious you are? <laughs> I remember once when somebody had taken me to Champaklalji and he introduced me by saying, he is my friend. And Champaklalji just wrote, friend? Meaning, I said, okay, the friend is only divine. Friend. <laughs> friend is only divine, eternal friend. But yes, we have friends, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but the friend with a capital F, O Supreme and only friend. And what is this friend doing? He accepts us just as we are. He doesn't say, oh, you have this, which friend can accept? That's why there is a poem, uh, um, conversation of her in 1957. 
our best friend it's based on one of her places where she says our best friend is he who accepts us just as we are and does not and um, i've forgotten the exact thing but it is like he he accepts us in our best parts and does not accept us to be otherwise expect us to be otherwise and then she says at the end of explaining that whole passage that isn't he the divine who accepts us just as we are and he doesn't want us to change then what happens by his company we change not to forget jaisa jiske saath uthna baithna rahega people with whom we sit and mix and people don't understand they just take it so casually you will become like that yes if you have become a vat vraksh tree and you can call around snakes and chandan vishvapat nahi lifted rahet bhujang you become like that tree is okay but it's always good to be careful and cautious for a long time because you don't know how it is going to impact you o supreme and only guide with a capital g thou who never gains seest our highest will because it is thyself who willest in it it would be a folly to seek elsewhere than in thee for one who will listen understand love and guide since thou art always there to do it and never will thou fail us see the ultimate counseling only one who can understand us guide us help us love us unconditionally is the divine and if we receive that love actually we won't expect from anyone we'll only give because that becomes your nature but the moment you want to receive and expect you are suffering isn't it the profound thing but she is not only saying don't expect people often give don't expect then are where will i go expect from the divine because turn to the divine because he alone can give thou hast made me know the supreme the sublime joy of a perfect confidence and absolute security a total unreserved and unvarnished surrender <laughs> without effort or constraint and joyous like a child i have smiled and wept at once before thee o my beloved last prayer before she starts from japan it is september 3 1919 she says this is the last prayer she had written not here but in a converse elsewhere and the prayer starts with since the man refused the meal i had prepared with so much love and care i invoked the god to take it my god thou hast accepted my invitation so she explains the experience that she was trying to convert and then ultimately refused so she said that what am i to do now and whatever she had prepared is not just food meal is what will nourish the new creation and the divine himself comes supreme she describes that vision of the supreme that twice i have had it much more magnificent than the vision of the gita and he comes and sits and she gives him and then asks him and he says this is not how it will be done so how it will be done 
So he simply takes her in his arms and points towards the west, towards Pondicherry. West because Japan, okay, okay. West means <laughs> to Pondicherry. And next day, without even her saying anything, her husband suddenly said, uh, we will go back to Pondicherry. And he purchased the ticket, she didn't say anything. And then the tickets were purchased, they came all the way. In Pondicherry, she writes this prayer on June 22nd, 1920. Here she speaks about an ordeal that she went through, especially after her final arrival on 24th April 1920 and 24th November 1920. She just touches upon it. After granting me the joy which surpasses all expression, thou hast sent me, Oh, my beloved Lord, never she is complaining. Oh, my beloved Lord, the struggle, the ordeal. And on this too I have smiled as on one of thy precious messengers. Before I dreaded the conflict, for it hurt in me the love of harmony and peace. I will not go into the details of what she was experiencing. But one thing is, not only the recounts, that suddenly on 24th November there was a very big uh, almost cyclonic winds which were very common in Pondicherry and suddenly Shurabindo called she was staying in uh, that other place and suddenly Shurabindo called Nalnida and says go get the mother and he along with you went and asked the mother to come and she immediately came and from that time they have been together in in the different uh, ashram itself has you know evolved so this is the story those six months and that is he passingly mentions on october okay on july 22 1920 and then there is of course last two prayers one is of course a very favorite prayer No, three prayers. There is a power which no government can command, a happiness which no earthly success can give, a light which no wisdom can possess, a knowledge which no philosophy, not no science can acquire, a beatitude of which no satisfaction of desire can give the enjoyment, a thirst for love which no human relation can quench, a peace which can be found nowhere. not even in death some people may say but we have found it then i would say you are very unlucky <laughs> if we have found it in transient things you will be lucky when you discover that no it evaporates why because it is the sashwat truth <laughs> shivinder said that we cannot find it in transient things but yet they give us experience also because it is scaffolding we are not ready to enter into that vastness no so we have to go baby steps and what is where is that power etc it is the power the happiness the light the knowledge the beatitude the love and the peace which come to us from the divine grace october 28 1928 she is already the ashram has been formed if you may say so formally and then she experiences something after she looks at the humanity around november 24 1931 now she is the center of this soul uh, 
evolution and with all around. Oh my Lord, my sweet master, for the accomplishment of thy work, I have sunk down into the unfathomable depths of matter. And what does she find there? Lord, Lord, everywhere thy enemies are triumphant. Falsehood is the monarch of the world. Life without thee is death, a perpetual hell. Doubt has usurped the place of hope and revolt has pushed out submission. Faith is spent. Gratitude is not born. Blind passions and murderous instincts and a guilty weakness. That's an interesting word. Guilty weakness have covered and stifled thy sweet law of love. And she, has, she says there, it is the seat of oblivion. Darkest depths, but in my heart was the remembrance. So even in the seat of oblivion where you, we talk about remembering the divine how often we forget. Even in that place of utter unconsciousness and falsehood, she still remembers. So she, she sees these things. Lord, will thou permit thy enemies to prevail, falsehood and ugliness and suffering to triumph? Lord, give the command to conquer and victory will be there. I know we are unworthy. She is again not complaining. She says, I know. I know the world is not yet ready, but I cry to thee with an absolute faith in thy grace and know that thy grace will save us. This is the attitude we should have. Even in the depths of darkness. Thus my prayer rushed up towards thee. And from the depths of the abyss I beheld thee in thy radiant splendor. This is the experience she had in this he has recounted elsewhere also of that being lying in the inconscient. Thou didst appear and thou saidst to me, Lose not courage, be firm, be confident, I come. Okay, so we'll close this with this prayer, which is like a mantra for all who want to work for the divine. This is want to understand what is karma yoga from the highest standpoint and in the supramental way. Because supramental way of karma yoga is still more upgraded. We know the karma yoga is given in the Gita. This is a, a, a radical step higher and wider. A prayer for those who wish to serve the divine. October 23rd, 1937. It is available in Mother's Voice. It's something very beautiful. I don't know how to get it now. I had it for a long time. Even now I have it. But I don't know how to get this prayer. Uh, there must be somewhere. I mean, in one of her, with Hour of God, it was connected, linked. With Sunilda also, uh, when she has read portions of Hour and God, and it ended with this particular prayer. It's in French. And uh, she reads it. Glory to thee, O Lord, who triumphest over every obstacle. This is the faith we must have. Grant that nothing in us shall be an obstacle in thy work. Before we talk about obstacles outside, within us, the ego and desire. Grant that nothing may retard thy manifestation. Now, the goal is not just liberation. In ordinary karma yoga is a jivan mukt, but the divine manifestation. Grant that thy will may be done in all things and at every moment. Not only within me, this creation in the world, in the world march, we stand here before thee that thy will may be fulfilled in us, in every element, in every activity of our being from our supreme heights 
to the smallest cells of the body. This we don't find in the normal karmiyogic discourse as they say nowadays. <laughs> Grant that we may be faithful to thee utterly and forever. This be faithful is so powerful. Chamaklalji used to give that written in mothers in writing. Be faithful. It takes so much time to just try to even grasp the power of that. Be faithful. So many times you catch yourself that you are not being faithful to the mother. And we would be completely under thy influence to the exclusion of every other. This is purity. Mother says, what is purity? Not moral ethical percepts, but much more difficult to be only under the divine influence and to no other. Grant that we may never forget to own toward thee a deep and intense gratitude. Why? If you have why, then it's not gratitude anymore. (laughs) Gratitude is, you feel it in your heart. It's a joy that the divine exists. Grant that we may never squander any of the marvelous things that are thy gifts to us at every instant. Grant that everything in us may collaborate in thy work and all be ready for thy realization. Now, in all these grants, nothing she is asking for herself. She is asking for the divine and his work. And his manifestation. Surely there must be something she may be needing. Nothing. He's asking all for the divine, his work, his glory, his will to triumph over all. Glory to thee, O Lord, supreme master of all realization. Give us a faith active and ardent, absolute and unshakable in thy victory. I'll read it again and we'll close with that. A prayer for those who wish to serve the divine. October 23rd, 1937. Glory to thee, O Lord, who triumphest over every obstacle. Grant that nothing in us shall be an obstacle in thy work. Grant that nothing may retard thy manifestation. Grant that thy will may be done in all things and at every moment. We stand here before thee, that thy will may be fulfilled in us, in every element, in every activity of our being, from our supreme heights to the smallest cells of the body. Grant that we may be faithful to thee utterly and forever. We would be completely under thy influence to the exclusion of every other. Grant that we may never forget to own towards thee a deep and intense gratitude. Grant that we may never squander any of the marvelous things that are thy gifts to us at every instant. Grant that everything in us may collaborate in thy work and all be ready for thy realization.
Glory to Thee, O Lord, Supreme Master of all realization. Give us a faith active and ardent, absolute and unshakable in Thy victory.